Welcome to Bakersfield First Assembly of God's podcast. Pastor James is fired up and ready to preach. I hope you enjoy this sermon. How's everybody doing tonight? I'm glad to be here. I appreciate my pastoral friends filling in for me. Here they did a great job, and uh, but I'm I'm back. Bless God. So let's jump into the Book of Job, shall we? The question of the ages, why, is the series title. And last week we talked about who's in charge here. And the title of our message this Wednesday is When Tragedy Strikes. How many know when you get that phone call at 2 a.m., you know it's not good? I mean, and it could be a wrong number, but man, it, your heart starts a pumping just when that call comes. And if we live long enough, some type of tragedy, loss, or grief will plague every one of us at some point in our lives. And tragedies come in many different types and sizes and affect people differently. For some, it may be the loss of a child, the loss of a parent, a brother, a sister, a friend, the loss of a marriage, a financial loss, the rebellion of a prodigal son or daughter. All of these are different tragedies that we may go through in our life. And, and I know that it's, it's interesting because some people may go through one or two tragedies in their life, and others have, have several they have to endure. And I just, I, I want us to know that I'm not wishing a tragedy on anybody. It's just a fact of life. And I, I also want to make this clear, because I know sometimes we're, we're a little afraid to study the book of Job. We're a little concerned about going there. But I want to reassure you, studying the book of Job will not bring any more tragedies into our life as if we weren't studying it. Isn't that true? So don't, don't be afraid ever to read the Bible, but especially in, in this case, the book of Job. Don't be afraid. It's not going to cause a problem in your life. That's what Job was concerned about. The thing he feared came upon him. He lived in fear, and God does not want us to live in that kind of fear. And we'll get into that more as we see Job's reaction. But what it will do by studying the book of Job it will help us come to peace with some of our previous tragedies, some questions that we're still wrestling over in our life. And it will also prepare our hearts should we face any other tragedy in the, in the years ahead or in the times ahead. And so the study of the book of Job is a good thing. It's not going to make bad things happen to us, but it'll help us endure the tragedies of life and the trials of life. The tragedies will strike. The question is when they do Who's to blame? And that's what we're going to talk about tonight. Who's responsible and how do we respond? That'll be the big thing. When these tragedies hit Job one after another, what's amazing is his response. And we'll get into that in the next week or two. And so two of these tragedies that Job will, will face will be the attacks from men. Two will be natural disasters, but all of them will cause Job great loss. And he will get the news of these tragedies in succession, one right after the other. And for most of us, just one of these tragedies would be enough to devastate us. But for Job, he had four in a row. And so for Job's first three, three tragedies are financial losses. But his fourth loss is a personal one that far outweighs the other, the previous three. And we'll see that Job is also going to experience another loss, a very personal loss, the loss of his health. But that's down the road a little bit. So let's look at our text for tonight. 
Job chapter 1, verse 13. One day, when Job's sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house, remember that was their, that was their practice. These, these seven sons and three daughters loved to party. And so they threw a lot of parties. They would change different homes. And so they were at one of those parties. And a messenger came to Job and said, the oxen were plowing and the donkeys were grazing nearby. Interesting, this, this first tragedy was close by. It wasn't in a distant land. Verse 15, and the Sabaeans attacked and carried them off. They put the servants to the sword and I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Verse 16, while he was still speaking, another messenger came and said, the fire of God fell from the sky and burned up the sheep and the servants and I am the only one who's escaped to tell you. Verse 17, while... That servant was still speaking. Another messenger came and said, The Chaldeans formed three raiding parties and swept down on your camels and carried them off. I don't know how you carry a camel off, but uh, somehow they got them. They put the servants to the sword, and I am the only one who escaped to tell you. Verse 18, while he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house when suddenly... A mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house. It collapsed on them, and they are dead. And I am the only one who has escaped to tell you. Our first point is financial loss number one. Job experienced the loss of his oxen, donkeys, and all the hired hands that were meant to care for them. He was... A, he was the richest man on the planet. He was the most righteous man on the planet. And so he employed a lot of people. He had a lot of wealth and he had a lot of employees. And so he didn't just lose the, the oxen and the donkeys. He lost his manpower that helped take care of those, that, that cattle. And so letter A, this is an attack by man. The Sabaeans. Who are the Sabaeans and what do they have against Job? Well, we see number one, parenthesis, the Sabaeans were nomadic marauders. And they were descended from Sheba, a grandson of Abraham, mentioned in Genesis 25.3. So that's who they are. They're these nomads, but they are pirates, land pirates. And they made their living by robbing people and by stealing from other people. And they eventually stopped their nomadic life and settled down. This is number two in the southernmost part of the Arabian Peninsula, and they became a very wealthy nation. And number three, during Solomon's reign, he was vis visited by the Queen of Sheba, which is interesting because this story took place before Abraham, but many years later, the Queen of Sheba comes and brings gift. Isn't it interesting? It's almost restoration and had to pay it back. It was generations later, but the Sabaeans finally had to pay back what they had stolen all those generations before they gave to King Solomon. Now, the Sabaeans probably didn't have anything personally against, uh, against uh, Job. He was just convenient, and it was a crime of opportunity. And so, letter B, this is a crime of robbery and murder. I mean, you know, theft is a violation. Is any, have you ever had anything stolen from you before? It is a violation. I had my truck stereo stolen twice. 
They broke my window each time to get out my stereo. And it wasn't that good of a stereo. And so, I mean, it was a couple hundred bucks. And, and so my son said, well, what, Dad, did you ever think of buying an alarm? And I said, well, they're expensive. He goes, well, how, how much are they in compared to two stereos? <laughs> I said, mind your business. Because uh, he had done the math. And it would have been cheaper after the first stereo to buy an alarm to protect me from the second. But I'll tell you what, the fact they broke my window and sat in my seat and stole my, I felt violated. That's my, my, that's my truck, it's my baby. And here these, these thieves had no concern for me. And I'm, you know, and there's just, you know, it's, it's one of the Ten Commandments. It is, a, it is a sin to steal. And there are many different ways of theft. A lot of theft that's happening now is, is online. And you need to really be careful because they, they are sharp. They'll send you an email that looks like Wells Fargo. I'll get a text and, and say, follow this link to Wells Fargo. Your account is under attack. Well, guess what? I don't bank at Wells Fargo. So that's how I know it's a fraud. But sometimes, man, it, it can be convincing. And they, they especially prey on, our, on, our, on the elderly as that may not have all of the technical skills, the computer skills. But there's been a few times that I've almost been taken in. That email looks so realistic. Don't ever follow a link. Don't ever go for it. If somebody sends you that, call your bank. I want to protect all of you because my, my dad was almost a victim of, of fraud like this. And they were very convincing. A, a, a notice had come on his computer screen that there was a problem with his Windows, version of Windows. Call this number. And so he called that number and they were trying to get his account number information. You know, well, you need to pay $300. Let, give, me your, give me your debit card. And by God's grace, it didn't go through. There was one number off. And so they had told my dad to go to Walmart and get, get cash cards to send to them. And I'm seriously, this is what, I'm sitting here on a Sunday afternoon at home watching football, and I get this impression, I need to call my dad. And so I picked up my cell phone, called my dad, and said, Dad, what you doing? He goes, I'm heading out to Walmart to get all these gift cards. And I said, what for? And then he told me the story, and I said, Dad, that is a total fraud. It's a scam. And sure enough, when he, when he stopped, and, but the problem was they had his cell number now because he had called that number. And so we had to get that changed and everything. But I, he was so relieved. It was a God thing that God told me to call him because he would have lost a lot of money. And I'm telling you what, that made me so angry that somebody would take advantage. And of course, they don't know who he is. He doesn't know who they are. But it made me so It was a violation that you would try to take advantage. It wasn't the money. It was the violating, you know, of my dad and what he's gone through. And so, you know, that's, that's why God says do not steal. And there is certainly will be a reckoning. Letter C, the key point that we learn out of this first tragedy is Satan uses people to cause evil and accomplish his sinister plans. Isn't that true? Satan often operates through people to accomplish his nefarious ideals. And so that's just a fact. Satan uses people. God does too. So we have to decide, who are, who are we going to be used by? And so, and again, we realize the Bible says we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The real enemy 
is, is not even that thief. Now, certainly I believe in justice and they need to be held accountable. But the Bible says the real battle is with Satan. And Satan is behind the Sabaeans here. He has stirred them up to attack Job. So number two, let's look at his second financial loss. The loss of sheep and servants. Letter A, this is a disaster of nature. Fire came from the sky. Now letter B, the fire of God is inaccurately named. For we know that this disaster is not from God, but from Satan, right? God gave him permission, but he didn't tell him to strike him down with fire. That was something Satan decided to do. And so isn't it interesting that there are insurance policies that cover acts of God, like earthquakes or fires or floods? I mean, many times those are not acts of God. There are times God uses nature. But it, most often, any type of tragedy like this is from Satan or the natural order of things of, you know, the second law of thermodynamics, everything is breaking down. There will be earthquakes. The Bible prophesies that. My dad was a geologist and he understands those tectonic plates and how they shift. But in this, especially in this case, you see how this is not God who did this. It's Satan. And Satan, we see letter C, does have the ability to use nature to cause harm. So Satan can, he can inspire mankind to do evil and he can even cause the elements to cause destruction. This is the first reference of blame against God, though it is undeserved. Now how often do we attribute tragedy to God when it's not his doing? This is the first seed of blame to be planted in the heart of Job, which will result in a harvest of doubt, especially in God's character. And so this is not only a test of Job's faith, but what we know and believe about the nature of God. The fact that it's called fire, the, the servant said, the fire of God. And so that had, when Job heard that, he, he made that connection. This, this was the fire of God. But it wasn't the fire of God, it was the fire of Satan. And there's a big difference. Letter D, even though Satan has power over nature, how many know God has greater power? He has greater power over evil. He has greater power over even nature. Let's look at this passage in Mark chapter 4, verse 35. That day when evening came, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the sterns sleeping on a cushion. I love this. In the storm, I love going fishing with my dad. We have an old aluminum boat. We, before that, we had an old fiberglass boat and we had a five horsepower motor on the back of it. And sometimes I would lay in the stern and dad would hit a wave and the waves would wash over on me. But Jesus was not bothered in the least. He was sleeping on a cushion. And Jesus was in the stern sleeping on a cushion. And the disciples woke him and said, first thing they say, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? How many know when you're facing a tragedy, you have two choices? You can trust God 
or you can blame God. You can believe the best in your Lord or you can doubt. And they, the fact that the disciples, their first reaction was to say, don't you care? How many know that's not really a question, it's an accusation. They are accusing, and, and they've seen the miracles. They've seen what God has done. And the first thing out of their mouth is to blame God, to blame Jesus. Don't you care? Now, I will confess, you don't have to, but I will confess I've said those words before in my life. I'm, I'm not proud of that. There are times where I, I've actually said, Lord, don't you care? And I've had to repent of that. Because how many know God always cares? Always. And so if we're of that attitude, though, we're not going to weather the storms of life if we're ready to blame somebody. If we're ready to blame God or we're ready to blame our parents or society. How many know when we reach of age, we're responsible for ourselves? We can't keep blaming other people for their evil. We see it going on in our nation today trying to find a scapegoat. There, there are evil people. And, it's, and they need to be held responsible. And so it's important for us also in our own walk with the Lord not to be quick to blame God. Not be quick to question God. And verse 39, he got up, rebuked the wind, and said to the waves, quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. I believe this storm was started by Satan. Just like he had done against Job, I think, I think Satan stirred up the, the, the seas in this case, trying to destroy the Son of God. And, I and so Satan has power. He can bring storms. He can bring earthquakes. He can be, bring fire from, from the heavens. But Jesus gets up and says three words, quiet, be still. And look what happened. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. <laughs> I just, I love imagining being there in that boat. The first thing the disciples do is blame Jesus. Jesus gets up, speaks to the wind, and it stops immediately. And the waves start to settle. And then Jesus turns around to them. <laughs> I, I would love to be there. Because I'm thinking they're like, we're dead men. We are totally dead. And he did. He said to his disciples, why are you afraid? And another place he says, why are you so dull? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, who is this? Even the wind and waves obey him. And I want us to be encouraged. No matter what storm you have in your life. The wind and the waves obey the Lord. And he can say, quiet, be still. And many times when tragedy strikes, our first accusation is, God, don't you care? This question may be what we feel, but it's also evidence of a lack of faith. And a, the, a lack of faith in the goodness and character of God. We know it. Everything that happens in our life, God works for good. Now, he doesn't bring bad things into our life. Those come by the hand of Satan. They come by living in a fallen world. They come through evil men. But even those bad things, God has given us that promise in Romans 8, 28, that he'll work everything for good. And so we've got to prepare our hearts 
when we face not even just a major tragedy, but a disappointment. Like maybe your check bounced or something happened, your car broke down. How do we respond when those situations take place? When I was in high school, I had a Chevy Love pickup. Anybody remember the Chevy Love pickup? I had a Nova Supersport before then. I should have kept that Nova Supersport. It would have been worth something today. So I, I got a little Chevy Love pickup, and, but the alternator would kept going out. And I lived 60 miles from my high school. So I took a bus every day. I know it sounds like I'm you know, holding this over my children's head, and I am. Because it took two hours to get to school every morning. And then I would stay after for sports. And they provided a special little short bus for those of us who were athletes. And we'd get home 7, o'clock and eight, eight, seven or 8 o'clock at night. So I was driving home in my Chevy Love from Tonopah to Round Mountain where we lived. And as I'm driving, my lights are getting more dim and more dim and more dim. And finally, it was out. And I was still probably 10 miles from home on a highway. It's about midnight. There's nobody to be seen forever. I, you know, I might still be there. And so I saw this semi coming down the road. And so a few cars had passed me by. I wasn't going to let this semi pass me by. I got in his lane and I'm waving my arms. And I realized at the last minute, he does not care. He is not going to stop. And I jumped out of the way. And I was so discouraged. I was like, I'm going to, you know, it's too far to walk. And then finally, a guy pulled in behind me. And it was a guy from my church. He didn't even know it was me. And he gave me a jump enough to get home. And I went home and I went into my parents' bedroom. And I said, what? don't you care? <laughs> Haven't you been wondering where I am? And they're like, no, we trust you. Don't trust me so much. Come find me. But I, I was amazed that even when my car broke down, I was disappointed with God. How I many you know that's going to happen? That's why I have AAA. Bless God. <laughs> Do something about it. But don't blame God. And so, Jesus didn't cause the storm. But he did calm it. Remember that. He doesn't cause the storms in your life. But he can calm them with a word. Now we know this. Sometimes Jesus calms the storm. Sometimes he calls, calms us in the storm. The storm remains, but Jesus has the power. Sometimes Jesus speaks to the waves, quiet, be still. And sometimes Jesus speaks to us, be quiet and be still and know that I am God. And so we will have storms in life, but we have a Savior who can calm any storm or can calm us in that storm and and sometimes we don't know what he's going to do but it's and i don't want to get ahead of myself because job's reaction is so critical that we learned to respond to disappointment and tragedy like job did so we go to number three his third loss another financial loss his camels and servants now he lost cattle he lost camels he lost sheep that's all the livestock that, that, that type of li- livestock was necessary for life. And he was, he was abundant with it. Now we know, because we can read the end of the book, that he'll get double what he lost. But he didn't know that. 
He didn't know that. And so letter A, this is in another attack by man, the Chaldeans this time. Well, who are, they, who are the Chaldeans? Letter B. They were a nomadic people from the northeast and were Mesopotamians. That's hard to say real fast. But they later became the Babylonian Empire, many generations later. So that's kind of where their roots were, was in that area. Exactly, Ur of Chaldea. He was a Chaldean, most likely. And so, excellent. It's good to see you. Welcome. Are you still in Nashville? or you're back? You're back? Awesome. Love God. It's good to have you back. Other than that, other than who they were, they were convenient pawns of Satan. So far, Job had suffered a great financial loss. He is utterly bankrupt. He does not have one cow left. Not one sheep, not a lamb, nothing. His entire, he has no employees. He has no income. He has lost everything that you could ever lose in this world. Every possession is gone. The only thing he has left is his wife, and that's an issue. That we'll get to. <laughs> so his stock market has crashed. And you know, when that happened in the, what was that? The, the 20s, people were jumping out of windows. Because they lost their, because back then you could buy on margin like at 90%. And there was a margin call. And people lost everything overnight. Well, that was Job. He lost everything overnight. And this alone, the law, the, a financial loss is enough for some to turn their heart from God. And the question is, what is our price? Is there any price that would cause us to turn our heart from God? What, we, what would we do if today we lost all our money and all our material possessions? There was a time in my life where I was about to lose everything. My home, my finances, everything. And I'm telling you, that took me to, to the foundation of my faith. Because you know what was possible? I could have lost it. it could have, and, and that's kind of what I struggled with. I could lose this. God does not have to bail me out. God does not have to see me through. And I will tell you that God did a miracle... And never missed a payment. Lord took care of me. But I didn't know that was going to happen. Because it happened to Job, it could happen to us. And so, if we were to lose everything, every possession, could we still believe and trust in God? Amen. And so, we're going to see how Job responds and what should be our response. The letter D, the key point, financial loss will expose our hearts and reveal to us where our treasure is. Isn't that true? Look at Matthew 6, 19. Jesus said, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where must, where must, where moth and rust, that's moth and rust together, destroy and where thieves break in and steal. There's the thieves again. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, there's nothing wrong with 
saving money. How many know that we need to be responsible? We need to have savings accounts. Investments are good. There's nothing wrong with that. God, in fact, tells us to be good stewards of our finances. In fact, he says, use worldly wealth. Use it to further the kingdom. But, and so there's nothing wrong with that. The, the problem is if we have more treasures on earth than we do in heaven. It's not about having possessions. It's about possessions having us. That's the difference. And so we should save up money. We should invest. We should uh, give to the Lord's work. But we also realize that if we were to lose everything, we'll never lose Jesus. And that's all that matters. And the, and the reality is, this is happening around the globe even today. Christians are losing everything and even their lives. And so the question I've had to ask myself, if, if even just one of these tragedies struck me, how would I respond to God? This is where we're going to get down to the foundation of our faith. And I don't think we should invite trouble or, or live, certainly not live in fear of it. But if it were to come, and any of you, I think, in this room is old enough, you've had some loss. You've had a, a family member pass away or you've had a, some kind of tragedy, some kind of disappointment in life. So you understand to a degree. And how is that... How is that done for our faith? Did it shake our faith or did it strengthen it? Now, one way to realize is all we have came from God and belongs to God. Even our children. And this is important for Job to know. That even our, we, we, this is why dedicating your children is so important. You, you've, you've recognized they're from God and they belong to God. And so every, everything we have financially is the Lord. We're just stewards of his resources, right? The five talents, the, the, the two talents, the one talent. We're just stewardship of his resources. And God gives some people great resources, and he gives other people small resources. And all he expects you is to be responsible for what he gave you, not for what he gave someone else. Don't envy anyone else's talents, because... The greater the talents, the greater the accountability and the responsibility. So we go to number four. This is a personal loss. Everything else was financial, business, possessions. Everything up to this point, it was all about what Job owned. This would strike him deeper than any loss of, of financial resources. This, letter A, this is another disaster of nature. It was a hurricane, it was a tornado. It was something of that nature. And it's interesting, you know, back to financial losses. If you ever have had a financial loss, you know how that can shake you. When we moved to Dallas, Texas, I was uh, transferring my bank accounts to the bank we used here in California. And I, I did that on purpose because I wanted to make sure there were no problem transferring our resources so I went into this bank, and I picked out this, this teller, and I thought, oh, okay, I think she looks smart. She'll have this down, because I was concerned about my finances. And so I, I went to her, and uh, she got everything transferred over, new address and everything. But what I did not realize is she had transposed my checking account 
and my savings account. She, she switched them, the account numbers. And so here I am, and at the time I, I, went, I had moved money over into checking because I had to pay some big bills. There was a school bill and some other responsibilities. And so I had transferred that to my checking, and she had swapped it. And so it had, now was in my savings and I was writing hot checks all over Dallas, Texas, man. Even to the school that my kids were going to. That looks good. Hi, I'm the new guy. I just bounced a check for my children's education. And I was so stressed out. And I, went, you know, and I didn't find it out for days. Because, you know, checks weren't clearing back then, you know, in one day. And I was mortified. I had to go into all these places and... Tr- and I, I got a letter from the bank saying it was their fault. But guess what? People don't care. I even bounced a check to the guy who did Jolene's hair. <laughs> so embarrassing. And so that's, that tested me. Boy, did that test me. Because all of those were check fees. Now, the bank eventually ended up owning it and paying for it. But the damage was done. My reputation was done. So... If, if that happens, we have to remember the Lord gives and the Lord can take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. It's his money. We're just stewards. Letter B. Up to now, all of Job's losses have been financial in nature. Now his loss will be personal on the largest scale imaginable. And it's a freak of nature. You know, had he lost his children to the hands of men, you know, if the Sabaeans had killed his children or the Chaldeans, you could go after somebody. You could seek some kind of retribution. But this is an act of nature. It's a, a freak act of nature. And so there's no human being to, to pin this on or to accuse. Sometimes we feel better when we can blame somebody. But it really doesn't make us feel better and there are some things that you can't blame on someone else. Greater than the fear of financial loss, I think most of us fear something happening to our family. And not only did Job lose a, a child, he lost all his children, all ten. You know, when years ago when I was living in Orange County going to Vanguard University, there was a story that kind of gripped everyone. There was a drunk driver in broad daylight hit a head-on a wife and four children and one of the children had was lived in the hospital and they kept following the father he was praying and he was a christian he was praying please let my son live i've lost three children and a wife please and we were praying jolene and i were praying lord don't don't let him lose this son let him at least be able to have and the son died And I remember it hit me really hard because he lost everything. Letter C, Job's kids were partying again and it's during one of these parties that disaster strikes. Now let's let's drift into here a little bit. Note that Job's custom was to purify his children after they partied in case... They had cursed God in their heart. I'm I'm assuming that maybe all these parties weren't good, perhaps. Because Job obviously was concerned about his kids. Every time they had a party, he would offer sacrifices. 
Each time he feared they may have sinned in their revelry. And so each time he hoped his sacrifice would cover their sin. Now, they were partying again, right? But Job usually did the sacrifice when? After the party. Well, guess what? They died before the party was over. And did Job begin to say, if only I had made the sacrifice before they partied. Would he, did he start feeling responsible? Let's, let's take this little, this is a scary walk here. But we need to ask ourselves, was, did Job in any way bear responsibility? Well, we realize that he had some concern about what his kids were doing, obviously. And he was trying to cover them with his faith, with his sacrifice. Can we cover our children with our own faith or do they have to have their own faith of their own? Ultimately, when they come of age, they have to choose. Now we can raise them in the fear of the Lord, we can take them to church, we can be an example, but when they become, become an adult, they have the choice. And at, at that point, I don't know if we can cover their sin anymore. Because at that point, you have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, one-on-one. -on -one. Some said God has no grandchildren. He only has children. And so, Job experienced this loss. And we know in Deuteronomy 24, 16, fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor children put to death for their fathers. Each is to die for his own sin. Now, some may say, what about the sin of Achan? They they killed his whole family. It's very possible the family was in on it. And so this is a principle God has laid down that a father is not to pay for the sins of his child and vice versa. Ezekiel 18.20 The soul who sins is the one who will die. The son will not share the guilt of the father, nor will the father share the guilt of the son. The righteousness of the righteous man will be credited to him, and the wickedness of the wicked will be charged against him. What God is speaking about is a grown child. That, a, you know, a father, you know, you know, may have an influence on a, on a young child. But once a child comes of age, which was the point of the bar mitzvah. Bar means son of, and mitzvah is the law. And so the reason the, the Jewish people still practice bar mitzvah is they're saying, you are now a man. And a bat mitzvah is for the girls. That's, that means daughter of the law. And so a bar mitzvah is now telling that 13-year-old, it's on you. Yeah, you, you are responsible for your actions. And, you know, I don't know if that is the magic age, but it seems to work. Yes. Great, great question. So we certainly should pray for our children, even if, especially if they're adults and away from the Lord. And the question, and you've raised a very good question. And, and let's ask it this way. Can we confess the sins of our children and can they be forgiven if they have no part in it? 
I, and, and that's, now, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. So, so perhaps there are cases where we can ask God to forgive someone even though they're not repenting. But I think, generally speaking, an individual has to repent of, on their own. But we certainly can pray. And we can intercede. And we can ask God to forgive them and to send someone into their path. But I do believe at, at some point, they have to make the decision. Now, and, and in fact, we probably can do more by praying than talking to them. There, sometimes it comes to a place where, where we have a prodigal, son or daughter, and they won't listen to us anymore. And sometimes we have to turn them over to the Lord and the consequences of their own actions, like Hosea and Gomer. Because that way, they'll, God will bring discipline into their life. And that, that's hard to pray. God, spank them. God, bring discipline in their life. But God does that because he wants to bring them back to him. Absolutely. Yes. And we, we also claim scripture. Like the jailer, he and his household were saved. We're going to believe that. God, you're going to save me and my household. There's a great passage in Ezekiel, I believe it is. I'll share it next, next uh, Wednesday night. But it's a promise of bringing the children back home. And we need to not just pray it. We need to prophesy it. We need to proclaim it. God, bring my, my wayward children back to you. Do whatever it takes. Whatever it takes to bring them back to you. And God will. So, yes, we've got, we've got to pray. But at some point, they have to bow the knee themselves. Great question. Yes. I would, I would look upon it in the same sense as we look upon the horse leading a horse to water. Right. But you can't make, make them drink. drink. Right. Well, we both led our children to the Lord, but we can't make them self-saved. Right. Yes. If someone to come into their lives and intercede and bring forth them and convince them. Yes. Okay. Have you ever, especially when your children were teenagers, have you ever heard a friend or a, a relative tell them, give them advice, and the, the teenager's like, that's awesome, and you're like, I've been telling you that for years. <laughs> but since somebody else is saying it, they're listening to it. And the same may be true. Sometimes everything we've told them, it may need to come from someone else. And understand this, in, throughout church history, the reason they baptized infants is because they believed baptism saves you. Which the Bible says you must repent and be baptized, not just baptized. And a baby can't repent. So, but that's why they started baptizing infants so that they would go to heaven. Because they believed only baptism is what saves you. Well, we know that any child that would die would go to heaven anyway. Because Jesus said, let the little children come to me. And they haven't reached the age of accountability. And I don't think that's a set age of 12, 13 or whatever. It may be different for each person. But there is an age of accountability where children are responsible for their own walk with God. They are a son of the law or a daughter of the law. But we can do all we can. And sometimes the best thing we can do is shut up. 
and say, okay, God. There, there have been times in the, in the lives of my children I had to just shut up and talk to God and not them and just had to say, you know, uh, you know when my, my son was struggling and, and going through such a, a loss of his marriage and everything, um, I, I had to just pray. I, I couldn't say, he already knew everything. He was raised in the church. He, you know, he's had to listen. His dad's a preacher. He's had to hear it his whole life. And I realized, especially there was, there was a point, and, you know, I know Josiah has been very open about this, and I don't think he'd mind me sharing. But there were times he was defiant and hurting because he had lost everything. And so he was going through that season, and I had to turn it all to God and talk to God. And I do believe that that is powerful when we talk to God about our children. Sometimes we can't talk to our children about God, but we can always talk to God about our children and never give up, never give up. Great point. So the question is, are we ever responsible for someone else's sin? Can we make someone sin? Well, let's look at the scriptures. Matthew 18, 5 through 6. And whoever welcomes a little child like this in my name welcomes me. But if anyone causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a large millstone hung around his neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. So Jesus is saying if we can cause someone to sin, it doesn't make them ir irresponsible, but it certainly can make us responsible, have some co-responsibility. But a child is still innocent. And what Jesus was saying here, that there are some that would sin against children or cause children to sin. And Jesus is so against it that it would be better for them to have a rock tied around their feet. Amen? <laughs> than to hurt a child. But the child won't be held accountable for that sin. But the person who did it will. And that's important for us to understand. And the Bible says we can be a stumbling block. Now, anybody, especially as an adult, they sin on their own. But how many of you know we can be a temptation? We can be a stumbling block, and we don't want to be those things. Because if we are a temptation and a stumbling block, we will bear responsibility. And so we want to be free of that. We don't want to cause someone to stumble. And so by offering sacrifices for his kids, was Job trying to cover the possible sin? Did Job blame himself for not offering the sacrifice soon enough? The reality is, Job had done nothing wrong, and yet his kids were gone. And, you know, I know we all do that at some times. What did I do? What should I have done differently? Sometimes we beat ourselves up so much, especially as parents. You know, because we do the best we can, we, we can do the, we all make mistakes like I've often said, I was an expert at parenting until I had kids. <laughs> you ever remember when you were single or didn't have children and say, my kids will never do that. They'll never act like that in the grocery store. <laughs> Wait till you have children. So it's, it's a big difference. The reality is the only person here to blame is Satan. God's not to blame. Job's not to blame. And it's very possible his kids are not to blame. But it's Satan. And so we need to blame who's responsible and, and not blame someone who's not. 
Because a lot of people carry that, that guilt and that blame. You know, I know at times it, I still wonder, I wish I'd have done differently with my kids. But we did the best we could. And Hebrews chapter 12 says that we're earthly parents. We do the best we can. But God is perfect. Yes. Yes. Good point. He was there. He was the perfect parent, as was the prodigal father. Prodigal son's father was the, the ideal parent. And so, and, and I, I, I was thinking about this the other day. I want to I speak to you who are parents. Stop blaming yourself. If your kids are astray, it doesn't mean it was your fault. Sometimes we compare ourselves with, you know, I, I wish that none of my kids would ever go astray. And it breaks my heart that one did. But I, I, I won't solve anything blaming myself. And you won't either. If we sinned, we confess it. I've had to ask for my children's forgiveness from time to time. And so we can own that. But we've got to stop beating ourselves up. Because even the perfect parent can have a wayward child. Yeah. I pray that my child will forgive me for the thing that I did. Yeah. This is you. Because inadvertently, I taught my child to become better. You know, it's, it wasn't something I did on purpose. Right. It was just something that over time, like, that was there. Like, I think about just going through. Yeah. Well, and you're right. Our kids learn to be parents by watching us parent them or experiencing, or they learn not to parent sometimes as well. But if you're a believer in Jesus Christ and you weren't a perfect parent, which is all of us, it's time to let that go. I feel that from the Lord. We need to release that shame and that guilt. We may need to confess it, and we may need to even confess it to them at times. But once we do, we, we release it to the greatest parent of all. We release them to our Heavenly Father. And I just, my, my heart hurts for those who have done everything as best they could and yet feel so guilty for a wayward child. So we need to get past that. So we can, and in some ways, it'll help set them free too. And though some may turn their backs on God, we, because of an experience like that, and, and as a pastor, I've seen this many times. I've been a part of, my first funeral was a stillborn child. The first funeral I did as a minister. And how do you, how do you answer that question? And, and they had to carry the baby to term. And I'll never forget walking up that little casket. And what do I say? What hope can I give these people? And, the, the, and I have to say this, too, just to be honest. Um, you know, I shared how I lost my brother when I was 13. And, you know, that affected me in many ways that I wasn't even aware of. But when I became a parent, I thought, wait a minute. My parents lost a child. It's possible for me to lose a child. And I had to battle that fear. I had to overcome it and rebuke it because that was a lie of the evil one. 
But I realized, and, and I, want, I want you to hear my heart when I say this, there are no guarantees but heaven. And so there are no guarantees on this life. And so we, we have to hold things loosely, even our children, in the sense of trusting them to the Lord. And, and, but we shouldn't live in terror that something bad's going to happen to our kids. You know, we're, we're already living the misery and it may never happen. And so we, we really have to get to the core of our faith and say, God, do I trust you even with my children? And now with my grandchildren, goodness sakes. So, yeah, and I imagine it's even worse with great-grandchildren. So, but at some, time, at some point, we have to return them to the Lord and just not live in that fear. Because I know for a fact, Jolene and I know we were helicopter parents too much. Because, you know, we had both experienced challenges in life. And so we, were, we tried to protect our children from everything, and you can't. And, and you, I think we should. I think we should try to preserve the innocent of, of our children. I had somebody say, well, they're all going to sow, sow wild oats. And I said, no, we don't want to give up on that. Because if you sow wild oats, you reap wild oats. And so we, we do want to protect our children as much as we can. But it, we also have to realize we can't, we can't stop trusting God with them. And so we look back and we realize, you know, we were helicopter parents sometimes when we should have just, it's okay, you know. I, I did grow in it a little bit because my first son, you know, we were really all careful and doting about him. And, and, and I was in a grocery store with my fourth child, my youngest son, and he was crawling all over this, the shopping cart and a lady there got after me. Why are you letting him do that? I said, don't worry. He's, he's got three siblings. He's the fourth one. We don't worry about him. We worried about the first one, but, you know, and it's a good thing I didn't worry because, you know, Jaden did things like riding up the, the garage door, holding on the bottom of it. And, I mean, he, he really tested us. Uh, one time, I've told you some of these stories, but Jolene is cooking dinner and she hears these, this thumping on the roof and she goes outside and there's our four-year-old running across the roof we didn't even know he knew how to get on the roof but he had watched his brother but anyway we're going to close with that tonight we went a little long but um i just i again just want to encourage you don't bear condemnation there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus but don't quit praying don't quit don't ever quit believing because God hears those prayers and he will put people in their path and he will move heaven and earth to save our kids and grandkids. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this powerful story of Job. And Lord, I know that you're probably dialing up things in our own hearts, fears that we have not reconciled, guilt and condemnation we have not given over to you. Lord, we need to be free. And so, Lord, I pray that as we study this book, you'll show those areas of our heart where our faith is weak, where we still hold on to fear. And I pray you'd set us free from that, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.